0: been offered in the past and, and and it's necessary because it 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 is required if we are going to be part of the plans of the Lord. The truth is God's taking the body of Christ in a pla- in, in, in a direction and to a place that that has not fully been modeled. Ever. Ever. And either we're gonna go there with him or we'll stand back and watch him go there with others. And so, 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 so what does this transition look like? We're going to say a word of prayer. You know, Father God, I thank you so much for your presence. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your glory. And I thank you, Lord God, that you are transforming us by the renewing of our minds that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? I thank you for the empowerment of our spirits. I thank you, Lord God, for the engaging of our gifts. I thank you, Lord God, that uh, this environment is not hindered or checked by any outside force. We establish the government of heaven Plead the blood of Jesus and overrule all witchcraft in Jesus' name. Father God, we thank you that if you are for us, who can be against us? It is written there are more with us than there are with them. So we rest in our position, citizens in heaven, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So... So we walked through a couple of things this morning. Number one, we talked about, look, look, uh, the, end, the, the end of this conversation is going to come to one conclusion. Uh, uh, you're supposed to change the world. That, that's where the whole thing goes. So, so I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then uh, I'm going to tell you how, how that makes sense. We started by addressing, you know, well, we have to be able to trust God. We have to be able to trust God for ourselves and get over some things. Um, and some misconceptions. And if we can trust God for ourselves, then we can begin to trust him and his government and his, and, and his intent for greater and greater things. Community, city, nation. We, uh, we opened up and, 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 you know, we explained, like, God's inheritance is the nations of the earth. Like that, that the Lord considers the nations His inheritance, and therefore uh, uh, the defilement of God's inheritance is the defilement of the nations. Therefore, God is very interested in the redemption of nations. It's just plain simple logic, and so what we find is that we become part of that process. Why? Because the will of God is not always done. Well, who, who's the go-between? Who is here to bring the finished work of Jesus Christ, which is fully established in heaven, and the earth into alignment? Us. That's our job. That's why we're here. We, we believe God. We activate faith. We walk out works of obedience, works of righteousness. And in doing so, we bring heaven and earth into alignment in, in all various manner of areas And uh, we can't put a limit on that. We can't say, well, look, it's the will of God that uh, all should come to repentance. So I'm going to work to bring alignment on salvation and get people evangelized. Like, that's not the end of the conversation, right? What about physical healing? It's like, no, we can also release our faith to bring people into alignment on the physical healing that is part of the atonement. Oh, but what about deliverance? We can use our faith and actions to believe God to— uh, superimposed the delivering power of Jesus Christ into lives and families, houses, geographies. Wait a minute, but God said, if you confess your sins and you turn from your wicked ways, I'm going to come and heal your land. That's another level. When God begins to not only redemptively deal with the humans, but also the land physically, you know that it was the earth that that, 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 that uh, was complaining to God because Abel's blood was in the earth, crying out. So the earth was, it it, it, it was not going to cooperate with Cain from that point forward. Genesis chapter 4. We, 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 there are, so, so we can believe God for alignments for redemptive processes in every area, right? Extending to city, states, nations. It's just part of the conversation. So, so now we're really beginning to, to, to bridge the gap, right? What are we here to do, right? What are we here to do? Well, we're here to change the world. That's what we're here to do because God's inheritance has been defiled. And he has a solution for that, ultimately solutions Jesus Christ. And then he made you part of the body. Right? So we're walking through this. And, and, and all of this is heading towards this conversation on sheep and goat nations. So we, we, we have landed in Matthew 25. And I said, look, sheep and goat nations is at the end of Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. There's a whole passage about it. We're going to break that open. But in order to really get it, we have to back-engineer a few things and realize that Matthew 25 is a narrative. It's not just a series of statements that are totally disconnected. And when we are able to look at the thread through the narrative, then we are able to actually lean into the text to resolve the prophetic destiny for this generation. It's profound, right? So we started with the parable of the uh, 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 virgins. That's Matthew chapter 25 beginning in verse 1. And... I told you, I said, this is a counterpart of Psalm 45 this morning, right? Where we see the bride, we see the virgins, the king, and that the bride is with the bridegroom and the virgins are meeting them. They're, they're walking the path. The virgins represent those who have slumbered and slept Slumbered and slept in the Greek means nodded off and fell asleep. That's the, that's the intent of that language. When we read in Matthew 25, all of the virgins, the wise and the foolish, they nodded off and fell asleep. They essentially died. They, 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 that sleep word means they, they, they went into death. Why? Because there have been 2,000 years of, if, 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 if history is correct and not lying to us, there have been 2,000 years of of. of believers that were born and died, and history is still playing out. So so there will be a resurrection of the dead because God died to redeem spirit, soul, and body. That means that there is a resurrection of the dead to come. And so when the virgins hear the sound, that becomes the resurrection of the dead. Of the dead, And I'm going to read that one more time, um, uh, 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 being Matthew 25, in verse, beginning of verse 1. And then we're going to walk further into this. So then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Uh, now five of them were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, while the bridegroom was delayed. They all slumbered and slept. At midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise said, no, lest there should not be enough for you and us, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, but he answered and said, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or hour in which the Son of Man is is coming. And that 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 term day or hour actually has everything to do with the Feast of Trumpets, if you didn't know that, because the Feast of Trumpets, they looked for the the, the, the moon, and they never knew if it was going to be within a forty-eight hour period the day or the hour, and then when they saw it, they would sound the trumpet. That, that's the annual feast. And so, um, with this said, this sets a bit of a time stamp, right, that we are dealing now in a prophetic context where the resurrection of the dead has happened. And there's a lot of business transacting around. And now I'm going to tell you guys a term. I call it transition generation. There is a generation that sees the earth transition into the government of heaven. Completely. Like, there is a generation that lives through that transition process. They just don't die. They just transition. Okay? And a transition generation is something that that hasn't, in my exposure to the body of Christ, gotten much attention. It's just not talked about much. But we're going to have to start talking about it because, see, the thing is, and, and we were kind of getting at this this morning with the bride being th- those that demonstrate ascended living. Literally, they are in heaven with the king while others are engaging. It's like those that turn the world upside down in this generation are, 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 are part of a mega plan that, that converges dimensions, It's radical wild off the charts to the point that what we're going to and and should expect to see is a a, a situation where the book of Acts begins to look like kindergarten. And I've been saying that for years. It's coming. It is absolutely coming. So, So transition generation, we have to start talking about it not only as if it's an eventuality, but as if it is the inevitability. It is the inevitability. <laughs> so, so in the book of Daniel chapter 12, in the book of Daniel chapter 12, you, you have the situation. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up the great prince which watches over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine with the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, there's a company of people in the last days that literally shine like the stars. The glory of the Lord has risen upon them. They, they, They demonstrate an ascended living that literally bends reality right? Reality stops making sense because the power of God and the superseding of the realm of heaven is overtaking reality as they go. And, and I call these God's shining ones. Um, and, and then you have also in the same context, in the same statement, like, okay, there's also going to be a resurrection of the dead event, right? That's verse 2. Now, Now, we're working through this. The most important thing, really, to take away from this, because there's a lot of unpacking that could be done on the parable of the virgins. Like a lot of specific stuff. Oil, the lamps, the reason why they're locked out, all of this uh, uh, that I'd I'd, I'd love to tell you about. But really, I have a more important agenda. And the more important agenda is that we understand that this is the time stamp, and we are moving through a narrative. Because the transition generation, they, they experience a resurrection of the dead, and then other events following, right? So, so you have the bride of Christ, the wife of the lamb. You have other events like Armageddon, battle with Antichrist, different things like that. And, and, and then you have this situation where you have a judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is clearly talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, in my journey to to understand the relevance of sheep nations, God took me to an expansive journey because I had to answer a lot of questions. Um, and, And in that expansive journey, that's where I began to see Matthew 25 not as three separately unconnected ideas, but a narrative. And and, and what happens is you have this event where the dead are raised, and then there is a, a sorting out. Because it's at that point that with the age transitioning, everyone that has lived under this age of salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, can be fairly judged on the basis of what they did or didn't do because all have lived. And the age is turning over in the context of a transition generation living through all of these as experienced reality. There are people that do not die ever, and there are the wise and foolish virgins who nodded off and fell asleep. Literally, they died and got a resurrected body. But now everybody, whether they'd never died, and, the, and you know, Paul says, um, we shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So there, there, there's a permanent transition into glory for some. This is a transition generation. And then there's a judgment. And that judgment has everything to do with sorting out the government that proceeds forth from that time. Because now you have a different era that's opened up completely. And Jesus is literally physically back on the earth. Spiritually, physically, the dimensions have converged. And uh, frankly, Satan's been bound up for a th- Like there's a lot of stuff that's happened. and And so as you... Process through Matthew 25, what you actually begin to see is the nature of the process of how we transition the generation, how we transition the age. And the next phase of Matthew 25 becomes the parable of the talents. And until you understand that this is a linear narrative, it it really doesn't make sense because you just think, oh, yeah, this is just how things sort out. So I'll die, I'll go to heaven, and then you know, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. It's kind of, you know, that's how I get weighed up and scaled up once I get there. It's like, well, actually, um, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That, that, that passage, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, that, that's an event. That is an event. And it's for the process of sorting out what happens next with the saints that have lived, how rewards are meted out, and how the nations are dealt with. And how the nations are dealt with. The judgment seat of Christ is such an important conversation because I don't think it is possible to understand sheep and goat nations until we understand the judgment seat of Christ for what it is. It's an event. So... The first part of the judgment seat of Christ has everything to do with the saints. Matthew 25 and verse 14 then gets into this conversation. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought another five talents, saying, Lord, You delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. In the counterpart to this parable in in, in the book of Luke, it actually says the reward is cities to govern. As it goes on in verse 22, it says, He who received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent, came and said, "Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered, seed. And I was afraid and went and hit your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours." But his Lord answered to him and said, "You wicked, lazy servant." You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, As we look at this passage and we say, wait a minute, let's consider this from a prophetic narrative that's revealing the uh, 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 prophetic mandate for this generation. If Matthew 25 starts at the resurrection of the dead, and we're looking through the lens of a transition generation, and we walk into a sorting out where it's like, well, now your works are being judged, this is exactly what we see happening when Paul says, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive the things done, whether good or bad, for what we have done. It's like, no, we're we're being weighed. Have we lived for eternity, or have we taken a really, really bad attitude about things? Have we taken a victim mentality? Well, you know, God, you're, you're, you're just a big jerk. My life is your fault. I blame you. Some of you have been there. There's deliverance for that attitude. <laughs> Todd will help you. <laughs> you know, uh, you, but, but so, some of us, we can't. There's a consequence, right? If, if, if we do not live with eternity in mind, uh, unfortunately, there is a consequence because while salvation is a free gift, the reward is based on the response. Salvation is a free gift, but the reward is based on the response. And, and sometimes there is no reward because there is no response. The works are just burned up in fire. They're, they're wood, hay, stubble. That, that's like everything you have to show for your life. What does it profit a man if he gains his own world and loses his soul? And so, so we see this playing out, right? This is a, 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 an explanation of, okay, well, what kind of things would you expect at a judgment seat where God is dealing with the saints? How did you steward what you were given? And there's an acknowledgment of certain facts, right? Number one, not everyone has the same intelligence. Not everyone has the same musical gifting. Not everyone has the same physical capacity. And some people seem to have all the looks, all the physical capacity, and they can sing at the same time. And we're like, dude, you got good genes, bro. Like, you know, some, some of us were like, you know, given... I cannot sing at all. It's really awful. I've tried and failed. And, 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 like, the thing is, you know, not everyone is, 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 is born into this world having the exact same capacity as everyone else. Not everyone is born called to do the same thing as everyone else. It's actually not a competition. Sonship is about actualizing in what God has given you. And so we see this pattern where it's like whether you got five or you got two, it's like, but what did you do with what you were given? What did you do with what you were given? The, 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 the good news and the bad news is, you know, some of us got a whole lot and we have a whole lot of expectation. Like there's a lot like riding on that. It's like, yeah, yeah, I did give you a lot. I gave you the looks. I gave you the intelligence. I gave you the singing voice. Thank you, Todd. Right? And so the singing apostle. <laughs> and I was like, you know, so you got, you got, you got that all going for you. But there's a big expectation. You're not producing four. You're producing ten. Um, God is looking for faithfulness. And so, so we get this concept, right? There's a huge degree of fairness. God doesn't give you two and expect ten. He just expects faithfulness, right? And it's about the individual actualizing. It's not about, well, did you do better than so-and-so, and I'm looking at this guy and comparing you. That's not how God deals with us. He deals with us as sons individually. He loves each and every one of us individually for our unique frequency and signature before him, which he gave us. And so, so what he does have a problem with is waste. So then there's a guy that has won, and he buries the talent. And, and, and that's a lot of believers in the body of Christ. And can I tell you something? There have been some people, some historical figures that have helped you to do that real well. Like Cyrus Schofield. I can't stand that guy. Like, I, I'm sorry. Jesus. Oh. But like he, he, he wrote into the very footnotes of his Bible the interpretive model that produces the crapture. Right? The, um, 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 the, the, the two covenant system which this won't matter to a lot of you because you're not there at all, but like, you know, that Israel, as in, as in the Jews, whoever claims to be a Jew, which is another conversation, have their own covenant with God that's independent of a new covenant in Christ, so they don't even need Jesus. The, the churches is just a parenthesis on what God is really doing with the people that claim to be Jews, like the Rothschilds, and, and that... <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me park this right now. All right, so, so and, then, and then, like, you know, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, like, we don't need them because now that the perfect Word has come, that that the Bible becomes maturity and the gifts were the childish things that had to be taken away. Like, like all these concepts, you know, uh, a lot of it leans into s- s- some, some of the stuff that makes its way into the footnotes of, of, of that work, and, and, and it's really programmed the church with a defeatist mentality, Where it's like we're looking for a rescue, and we're not looking to actualize as world changers. So instead of looking to God and saying, how can the power of heaven flow through me in such a magnanimous way that nations change? We're like, hmm, how can we just continue to pray for the Illuminati to rule us better so that uh, we can get to heaven soon? I mean, I'm serious. You know how how many churches have you have you, said, have you heard of, like uh, we don't do politics, right? That's the devil's domain. Mm-hmm. Only because you abdicated. So, so the whole mindset begins to change um, when we look at we, we we cannot bury our talent. We cannot bury our talent. A lot of a lot of Christians have been disqualified because their talent does not sit in the realm of local church. As in, their mandate sits outside of the context of the local body. Whether it's business or or science um, or educational administrative things, like, mandates sit outside of what happens and trades in the context of a local body. And if we have been told that God doesn't move there or in those things we've been coerced into burying our talent on the back of our theological premise which is based on a reduced gospel which is pure outright Luciferian deception in my opinion so so you have this situation where like now God is really pulling the lid back and he's saying I'm done I'm done I'm done. My people, which are called by my name, they need to embrace the talent that I have given them. And they need to actualize at a at a, at, at, at a headspace, at a spiritual landscape that is on par with the work that's actually happening in this generation. Right? Because we're driving towards national transformation in many nations of the world. And there's a context for that, right? But right now, okay, so we're walking through Matthew 25. Let's bring it back to the narrative. You have a, a, a transition generation a, and, and, and a resurrection of the dead, which is a, a transition on the age. The bridegroom returns, and now the bridegroom is the judge. Because he judges his own body. So the bridegroom is the judge, and he's now giving out rewards based on what we have done, whether good or bad. So the saints are judged. In the context of a transition of ages. And this is what opens the book on the judgment of sheep and goat nations. Now, you have to understand, in order to really get sheep and goat nations, you are at an event known as the judgment seat of Christ. And it has multiple aspects to it. God is judging the saints and the nations in the transition. God is judging the saints and the nations in the transition. Why? Because there are human beings at the return of Christ that have not given their life to Christ, but they did not die. So what do you do with them? Most people have never even considered that question. Most people have never even considered that question. So now, now we get to sheep nations. And, and like I told you earlier this morning, God started to speak to me about sheep nations. Ah, uh, yikes. Like in 2009, 2010, and it, it took me years to try to catch up w- a- a- and marry what he was speaking to me about redemptive works targeting the destiny of nations with what the Bible says. Now I'm going to show you what the Bible says And then we're going to begin to tie it into the rest of the Word of God, which is going to really blow the lid off of things. I think for a lot of you, you'll finally be able to step into some things that maybe you've been held back from just because you've lacked context. One of the biggest things that I want you guys to uh, really land on while while I'm here is that you are part of a, a catalyst of change in this house. Because the things I'm talking about, Redemption on a national level, like that is what God is raising the leadership of this house into. And the more buy-in you have on the reality of the legitimacy of that agenda, the more powerful the house becomes, the more powerful the prayer backing becomes, Because the whole point of this whole thing at the end of the day is you are world changers. That's what you're here for. So we work our way into Matthew 25 and verse 31. Right? So we're through the judgment seat of Christ judging the saints. And it says when, verse 31, the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Now there's your sheep and goat nations. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So now you have these nations that are inheriting the kingdom, right? And what is the basis? What is the reason why they inherit the kingdom? Is it because of grace through faith in Jesus Christ? The answer is no. Actually, it's completely different. God tells them why they are inheriting the kingdom. It says, For I was hungry... And you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And suddenly, these nations are being called righteous. The righteous will answer him saying, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And the king will answer them and say, assuredly, I say to you, in his Much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Wow. Wow. So this is the whole reason why they're being called righteous and why they're receiving their inheritance in this kingdom that's being established as the age is turning over. Weird, right? Weird. It's a weird context. And I'll tell you, I was parked on this for so long because no matter how many times I banged my head up against the wall, I was like, how does this make any sense at all? It just seems to be so off and so weird. It just seems to be so off and so weird. It, it, I, I don't get it. And so, 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 so that last verse I just read to you is usually the part of the whole passage that everybody parks on. This is where you find your child from a third world country, with snot in their nose, you take their picture, and you put that verse on the ad, and and you say, make a donation, and feed somebody. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Like, that's like where, what people take out of Matthew 25, and it's like, what? There's so much more going on, though, but it's so confusing, especially depending on the kind of (laughs) theological background that we have. Uh, It just doesn't land anywhere, well, let's continue reading about the goat nations. I'm going to show you the next thing. And then I'm really going to make sense out of this. It says, verse 41. Then, then, then he said to uh, those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not visit me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer and say, Lord, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, in as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Interesting, right? So you're dealing with nations. But let me give you the key that unlocks the understanding. When we understand that this is a prophetic narrative about the transition generation, and we begin to look at, okay, well, the the whole age is turning over on the back of the, the actual establishment of a fully actualized bride of Christ, whom Jesus can receive as a wife, okay? So we walk through some of those events at his coming, and then we have a judgment seat of Christ scenario where now the saints receive for the things they have done, whether good or bad for what they have done, including rulership, privileges in this emerging age, right? Then we move to the nations, and because we have a whole company of people at His coming that neither receive Jesus by grace through faith or die, you have whole nations that are now needing to be sorted out. And... If you didn't know, the Bible says that we are all members of one body. Which means that whatever the enemy does to you, he does to Jesus. So Jesus is basically, if you can imagine this, he has the sheep nations on the right, the goat nations on the left. And then there's this other group called the saints that are witnesses to a judgment that's happening to sort out these nations. And so they're the witnesses, and inasmuch as you did it unto even the least of these, my brethren. by, By that statement, we could rephrase that to say from the least to the greatest, even the least of these. You've done it to me. Because the saints are the witnesses. But the nations... Are being sorted out. And you have to realize that coming into this process, you have different nations that have signed up for different destinies. There are some nations that have signed up for the mark of the beast. And the mark of the beast is the fundamental epitome of transhumanism that transitions people out of their humanity. That's what the mark of the beast, does. it allows you to tap into the beast economy. But it fundamentally changes what it means to be human in the process. And we know this because the Bible says they will seek death and death will flee from them. That's not a normal human experience at all. The mark of the beast is is, is literally the full actualizing of iniquity in the human genome to change what it means to be human. And and it literally pushes a person out of, like, uh, (laughs) I mean— according to a study of the Word of God, it seems like out of the realm of even salvation, it's like, no, you have become a fully, a fully committed member of the kingdom of Lucifer, right? And you have nations signing up for that government and that economy going into the last days. But you have, and this is the thing that's going to shock you all. You have all of these other nations that didn't all of these other nations that didn't because they're there at the judgment to transition and the basis for the transition is how they responded to the saints which means that <laughs> response to the beast kingdom and the arising of a new world order is a company of people that move with such power and influence that they sweep a considerable portion of the nations of the earth into a resistance posture. they will not take the economic system of the beast at all not individuals national policy (laughs) the plan is so big and so ridiculous Ridiculously extraordinary, it is difficult to say in English, but I'm going to try. God sent a generation to change the world, to create an environment where many nations stand up in their own right to oppose the new world order and continue to exist in that condition Through the return of Christ. (laughs) So, because you see that there is a judgment and a sorting out of nations at the end of this storyline, you're able to back-engineer then the prophetic destiny of this generation. They are there because we are here. They are there because we are here. It's not an escapist mentality that unlocks the prophetic destiny of this generation. It is a boldness to step into the power of God on a previously unmapped level that causes the creation to be delivered into the glorious liberty of the children of God. It's the embrace of a perspective that says the call is so big my ministry doesn't even stop at the earth because the power structures that empower the kingdom of darkness to move through the beast kingdom are cosmic structures. Therefore, my calling pulls me as high as necessary in order to process through my life the redemptive agendas of God. Which takes us to Isaiah 60. Arise, shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold... The darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light. That word Gentiles, that means nations and kings to the brightness of your rising. Let me reframe that. See, (laughs) Daniel chapter 12, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Like there is a, uh, I'm telling you, (laughs) there is an agenda that is so big and so profound. Because the redemption of nations hangs in the balance of the execution of our mandates. It's not just helping a person to break a cycle of bondage in their life. Like that, that's part of it. Right? Because God, he goes after the one. He's a shepherd. He leaves the 99. He goes after the one. He cares about that cycle of bondage you haven't been able to break. But he also cares about the destiny of nations. It's not a component of the plan that we can continue to ignore, turn a blind eye to, and abdicate responsibility in. The nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your eyes. And, and, and see, this is the thing. this is the thing. What I've learned, as, as I've gone through, is that this is impossible. In the soul, to execute something of this size, scope and magnitude in the soul is absolutely impossible. It's so ridiculous, it doesn't make sense, because the soul has no capacity for something of this size scope and nature. The only way this begins to make sense is when you begin to activate the spirit of man. That's it. It's the spirit of man. Because one of the things you learn about the spirit of man is that the spirit is light. The spirit is light from God's light. And, and you, you want to know something about the transfiguration? When they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw the cloud come. Jesus changed. He became, he became a light being. The realm opened up. Moses and Elijah were standing there with him. The law and the prophets can I tell you, the transfiguration was the demonstration of what it looks like when the spirit supersedes the physical body in the natural realm. It's not off the table for anyone. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, this is the thing. The spirit of man, and this is why, this, this is, this is why the, the conversation on the human spirit is so important. The spirit is a trans-dimensional field. It field. It is not limited by time, space, the confines of the three-dimensional world. When that part of us begins to become active, it, like, like there's no, the, the, the limits that our soul perceives relative to reality go away quickly. And we begin to see and engage on a realm where it's like, no, you know. I, I am just as much seated in the heavenly places in Christ as I am physically walking the earth with access to both realms equally. In fact, I'm the gate. <laughs> Lift up your heads, only Gates. I mean, uh, I, like, this is, this is where you begin to see the purpose for the convergence of ascension in Christ. It's, it's for the agenda and objective of helping in God's plan, right, to... Undo the defilement on his inheritance, which is very important to him. There's a reason for the madness. This is the generation that's called to rise up in the power of the Spirit. And in the process of bringing redemption to societal structures and systems, God, you know, kind of sent a message into the body of Christ that provides a little bit of context and summary for that. It's called the Seven Mountains. And many of you have probably heard that suggested before. Spirituality, one. Business and economics, two. Family, three. Government, four. Arts and entertainment, five. Media, six. Education and technology, seven. It's, it's, it's one way to look at the targets of, well, where is God releasing people in scrolls and mandates, but to what end? But to what end? It's not just so you can get a good career and make more money. Like, there's, there's a very large agenda at play. Let me explain it this way. Do you know that there are satellites in space that can look at what's going on underground at very deep depths? I've met Christians that think they're going to hide from the New World Order in a bunker with guns and nuts. What the heck? Like they can see you. They can see you. It's like it's like let's play hide and seek. All right, close your eyes and count to 10. I'm going to find a hiding spot. Uh 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 Does anybody see me? It's like dude. Yes, we see you. You're not going to hide in a bunker. You're not going to hide in a cave. You're not going to eat mushrooms for seven years, waiting out the worst period of time on the earth while the Antichrist runs around and, you know, pretends like he doesn't have the technology they had 30 years ago to do some of this stuff. Don't even ask me where they got the technology from because I will tell you The thinking is too small. To deal with an international problem, you have to come up with an international solution, not a personal escape route. Not a personal escape route. We are to introduce whole nations to a deliverance From new world order and occult governance and oversight. And into an alignment with heaven's scrolls for those nations. There are some nations that are not on the map for this. Unfortunately. And I don't know what the, I don't have the list. I don't have the list. But there are goat nations. And they are there in Matthew 25. That's what I know. Equally, there are sheep nations. They are in Matthew 25. And that's what I know. And what I know is there is a personal responsibility sitting at the center of a whole lot of things. And I have no idea how many goat nations will be present there because the people that should have taken personal responsibility at the critical juncture in history abdicated responsibility and said, maybe I should just engineer a personal exit stage left. I don't know. What I do know is... Whenever I find people that refuse to do that, I'm making friends. I'm making friends because you know what? The plan of heaven is very big. We are to, through the redemptive process that God has for whole nations, Open up an environment and a realm where now there is a production of wealth, safe haven, standing armies, everything necessary for survival and confrontation as the Antichrist kingdom attempts to rise. It's that big. And if you didn't know, the Bible has a whole lot to say about this in Isaiah 61. Take a look. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the nations and in their glory shall you boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, listen to this instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. (laughs) Everlasting joy shall be... This is the thing. (laughs) The agenda is so big and so vast, right? And so you have this agenda to, to establish an ascended bride. A company of people that literally make the book of Acts look like kindergarten. The wisdom revealed through them to the nations unlocks... The wealth of those nations, the provision of those nations, they are better for it. The systems and structures that come with the wisdom and revelation of a redemptive government source means everything gets better for everyone. Nations put up with bonehead policies because the policy makers are getting checks from Luciferians that are responding to the orders of fallen angels for the sake of destroying those nations and societies. But when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Rejoice. The Bible says in verse 8, I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, the Gentiles, their offspring among the people. All who see them acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud. As the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth. So the Lord God will cause righteousness to and praise to spring forth before all all nations. Notice, we're right back in the context of the bridegroom and the bride in this conversation. It just keeps showing up. It keeps showing up. It's, it's a repeating concept. We are no longer in a frame of trying to push all of these promises all of these agendas and all of these objectives of heaven into a future context. The the body of Christ has been very good at taking what God is wanting to do, trying to do, trying to unlock, and out of fear, out of false identity constructs, and out of bad teaching, we've taken all of this that we should have now, and we've pushed it off into an indeterminable future and say, it's not... we're not going to see any of this until. And what God is doing is he's pulling all of these promises, all of these mandates, all of this context back into the present and saying, no, this is the generation. This is the generation. Because we are here to terraform the planet. When I got here today, or uh, the, the day I arrived on Saturday, I was talking about a few things, and Daryl was like, "So basically, you're saying we just have to blow everything up and change the world?" And I was like, "Pretty much." <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason. There's a reason. The, 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 and 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 it's an inevitable. It's an inevitable. The kingdom of darkness is working to produce their new world order. Your nation is an experiment. Okay? They are working to produce a new world order. They're testing stuff right here. Do you like how that feels? Do you like that? Does that make you happy? Does that make you feel like you want to go hide under a rock, build a bunker, buy nuts and guns and sit there? Or... Actualize as change agents in the context of their nonsense. And say, look, look, look. You are the ecclesia. That means as the body of Christ, you are a governing body. We are here to terraform the earth and from the earth to bring redemption to the creation as a kingdom of priests carrying out the original mandate given to Adam and Eve in the garden. God blessed them. And this is what I'm going to close with. Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That doesn't go away. There's a lot of defilement on the inheritance of the Lord, requiring someone to subdue it. Jesus finished the works. Our job is to impose the alignment. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over everything that moves on the earth. Friends, to close this out, we are going to celebrate Christ. There's a lot to process. I know. This is a lot to process. This is a game changer. This is, this, this is, this is where you got to get real with how big the God is that you serve. How small have you made your Jesus today? Because <laughs> I came to pump that image up in Jesus' name. Like we're, 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 we have to embrace, we have to receive. We have to receive Jesus on the size and scope of the glory that he possesses. He is that big. He is that powerful. With God, all things are possible. And so, in order to make us part of this glorious, glorious plan, He had to make a sacrifice. And no one was qualified but Him. Jesus Christ had to give his own life. He had to give his life. Lay it down for his friends. So that through his death and resurrection, we could have reconciliation with the Father. And so the night before, He was uh, arrested and taken in. Jesus was having the Passover. And, and at that Passover, he took the, the bread, the afikomen, and he explained to his disciples, this bread, this is my body, which is broken for you. When you eat it, do so in remembrance of me. So, King Jesus, we, we acknowledge that your body was broken for us, and we thank you. We honor you. We receive you. Thank you for your sacrifice. You can take the bread. And after they ate the bread, he took the cup, and and he explained to his disciples, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law, every jot, every tittle, he became righteousness For us. And in Him, we become the righteousness of God. Because of the blood of Jesus, when the Father looks at you, He sees Jesus. That's the power. He personally answers for our sins. He's the appeasement. He is the Lamb slain. And in his blood is his life. And so, King Jesus, we thank you for the blood which you poured out for us. We are grateful. We are appreciative. We are thankful. And we receive this cup in remembrance of you. So, Father God, I just thank you for every person here. And I thank you for the message that's gone forth. And for Lord God, transition in thought, transition is thinking, awakening, heightened awareness, ability to hear, to perceive, to know, to discern at a higher level what we are each here to do. The plan that's been set before us individually and this body corporately, I thank you, Lord God, for an acceleration and an expansion. I thank you, Lord God, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And with that said, I bless everyone in Jesus' name, amen.